Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Power Your Life Radio Show with host and success doc Joanne White. Author, speaker, certified coach, and energy master, Doc White gets to the heart of what matters most. She features guests and experts to help you consciously create more success, health, and wellness in every area of your life, work, and relationships. They'll share their success stories, wisdom, and know-how to help you shine more light onto your day and into your life. Power your life right now. Here's Joanne White. And thanks for joining us today. I'm Dr. Joanne White, and it is a beautiful day. And happy International Autism Awareness Month. It's really important. I was just talking with our guest and telling him how things are have changed since I was teaching um, children with with autism and special needs at, the, at a time when people were very suspicious suspicious and didn't understand, and even the educational climate was such that um, there were many, many challenges, and people were just very apprehensive. And so we're on a new day. We still have a lot of work to do to confront challenges and prejudices and lack of understanding, and one of the wonderful ways to do it is by having a guest such as Dylan Voke who has experience and experiences firsthand autism and what it's like and and being in a family. And he is just a beautiful example of someone that's helping us change what's going on in the world. And I'm talking about Dylan Volk, who's the author of Bad Choices Make Good Stories, My Life with Autism, which is a sequel to the book that he co-authored with his father, Chasing the Rabbit, A Dad's Life Raising a Son on the Spectrum. After years of what his parents called the diagnosis of the month club, Dylan was diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome at the age of eight. Life has been challenging for him as well. When he was little, Dylan struggled with how to learn rules and follow directions that often didn't make sense to him. And as Dylan got older, he was challenged, especially socially, by a world that often seemed to go too fast for him. Even today, at 27, Dylan's work very hard to get through each day. He's pursuing his dream by making people laugh, helping them see the world in a very different way, and traveling around the world and around the country, rather, sharing his story to thousands and thousands of people. Dylan hopes that his work and presentation about his books are helping families as they navigate through the complexities of living life on the autism spectrum. Welcome, Dylan. How are you? Hi. Thank you. I'm good. Good. So it's, like I said earlier, we're very fortunate to have someone like you who's able to tell your story and, and give people more understanding and awareness and also help families, like you say, who are actually going through the challenges. So speaking of the challenges, what what, what what were some of the challenges that you had when you were younger? 
growing well, up? Well, in school, I, as you mentioned, I would have to follow rules that didn't make sense to me. And that really bothered me. Uh, you know, in, in elementary school, if there, you know, there was a rule, for example, that I, um, I couldn't put my lunch, there was a refrigerator in the classroom, but it was only for teachers. I wasn't allowed to put my lunch in the refrigerator. And it didn't make any sense to me because the, the refrigerator was wide open. There was hardly anything in it. And they said, well, if we let one person, we'll have to let everyone. But I said, not everyone cares about putting their lunch. I'm the only one who actually cares. Nobody, would, nobody else would ask. So that was the kind of, but I just didn't understand, like, you just don't do that. And, and meanwhile, you know, the, the lunch in elementary school is disgusting. You got no options. You have to bring a lunch, and then it, it doesn't stay good. I was grossed out by the, by the prospect of having my lunch in my backpack all day long. It grossed me out. I wanted fresh food. You know, and so there were no good options. And I saw this refrigerator sitting right there and I said, why can't I just put my lunch in the refrigerator? And so stuff like that was very rough for me. So what was the resolution? Did they, they, they didn't make an exception, did they? Uh, well, I, uh, I got them to give me a behavioral system in which I could earn putting my lunch in the refrigerator. And then they took it away. And so I just suffered for years. Well, I'm sorry about that. It's because again, <laughs> you're, no, what you're saying makes perfect sense. Not everybody's going to want to put their lunches in the refrigerator. Yeah. Many people, like you said, Dylan, aren't even going to think about it. So right. you're so right on. Okay, so again, you went through that was elementary school, and fast forward a little bit to high school. What were some of the challenges? Well, I began feeling very dissatisfied with the fact that, uh, you know, high school is kind of like a spectrum of popularity, kind of a bell curve. There's kids on the top and there's kids at the bottom and most people fall somewhere in between. And I felt like I wasn't on that bell curve at all. Uh, even the unpopular kids had, uh, had other unpopular kids that they would hang out with and they would sit together at lunch and they didn't even want to sit with me. My problem was that I looked like one of the normal kids, but I, as soon as I opened my mouth, I was very clearly not one of them. So I didn't fit in with any group, and I was, but I was not satisfied with that. I was, I was not going to take that lying down. I took a very assertive approach, which caused all kinds of uh, problems, as you can imagine, uh, kind of just banging my head against the wall, trying to throw myself into different crowds of people that didn't want anything to do with me. And start, I would start arguments when uh, when I didn't get a positive reception, and so so that was my challenge um, for the first half of high school, at least. So the second half got better. Yeah, I uh, I got a car when I was 16, and I was able to make friends with people that didn't know me my whole childhood and didn't have a preconception of me already in their head. And uh, so I, that was that was very helpful. That helped me build a social life outside of my neighborhood, outside of my my local school. You know, I think that's so important. And you raise some interesting points, and that is, you know, not everybody who feels different or left out is necessarily on the autism, you know, on on the spectrum, because there are people. I remember in in high school. 
I wanted to wear a beret, and they were they wouldn't let me wear my beret. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that was my beret. The only person that let me do that was my French teacher. Otherwise, I had to take it off. And and I also formed a, a group of unpopular people because <laughs> I didn't fit oh. in. <laughs> so I <laughs> created an unpopular group. But again, it's very go. hard. <laughs> the competition is keen. So now you're doing some incredible things that, you know, we can go on with the story, which we will. But I wanted to focus a little bit on, on this book. Firstly, why the title? Uh, well, uh, I thought it would be just a catchy title and uh, get people to want to read the, the book because it references the stories that you'll find in it. And it's just a very fitting title. Uh, I've made a lot of bad choices. I've been to uh, I've been to jail in three different states, for example, and uh, so that's that's a claim most people can't make. I've uh, I've uh, yeah I've been fired from almost fifty jobs. <laughs> Lots of stuff. So in terms of being fired from from jobs, I mean, did it affect your self-esteem to how you because now you're like you're talking to people and and they're listening and they're reading your books and they're applauding your you, you know, when you're when you're on stage, do you do you have any low self-esteem from all of those experiences or where are you now? No, my self-esteem is is fine now. Uh, although it, it has been a very rough road trying to uh, trying to be successful, you know, I uh, I'm not really sure what it is exactly that makes it so impossible for me to have kept a job. If I knew, I probably would have been able to ke- to keep them. Uh, you know, last night I uh, I saw a movie with my girlfriend, and I couldn't even follow the plot of the movie, and so you can imagine how hard schoolwork was for me and how hard it was, how impossible it was for me to get through college as I tried twice, if I can't even follow the plot of most movies. So, yeah, it can still be frustrating. And yet here you are able to, to help other people shift and hopefully change their lives and work with families. And, And so I think what you're doing even though it's been challenging, is an incredible gift, not just to like to us and to our listeners, but, but to so many people whose lives you're touching. So w- bad choices make good stories. Ha- um, would you share a story, one of the stories, not, not everything, just a little tidbit for, for our listeners that's in the book? Let's, let's get them excited. <laughs> sure. Uh, Think of a good one. Um, well, here's a good one that's not in the not in the book. One time, uh, a girl called the cops on me for harassment because she wasn't responding to my. She was interested in me at first, and then she just started blowing me off, ghosted me, as they say. She wasn't responding to my texts wasn't calling me back or wasn't picking up the phone. And, uh, and then I, I just, I didn't let it go. So I sent her like a hundred texts spelling out her name with letter by letter. And then she eventually, uh, she was like, I'm going to call the cops on you. I was like, do it, do it. 
and then she called the cops on me for for harassment. And so and now when somebody calls the cops on you for harassment, uh, there's nothing they can do unless you don't listen to the cops. Cause that and now when someone calls the cops on me, that is, I take that as where I draw the line. You know, that's like when it's time to stop. That's when it's time to uh, to gracefully bow out, take the L. But uh, a month later, well, so the cops the cops called me and they said, hey, you got to stop harassing this girl. And I was like, all right, that's abort mission, I guess. And then a month later, I re-added this girl and apologized. And then she ended up coming over to my house and staying the night. <laughs> After she had called the cops on me for harassment. She came over and spent the night and everything that goes with that. Can you believe that? Well, you know something? People will get into their whatever moods, and she was probably annoyed at the moment. But right. I think that was a I think that was drastic action on her part. She could have just, I don't know, just not paid attention or or blocked you or whatever. Well, I was being I was being pretty annoying, so uh, <laughs> it's. But yeah, I just find it. I just think it's funny that it, I felt like, wow, anything is possible once that happened. Well, it's true, and you were wise to 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 talk to the cops and decide, okay, cease and desist, and <laughs> onward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The good thing is that they don't actually, they can't actually press charges against you unless you don't listen to their warning. So. Right, so you were smart in that regard, too. Now I'll... I was smart enough to do that, yeah. <laughs> Actually, you're smarter than you than maybe you even think or 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 let yourself know for all of what you're doing. It takes firstly, it takes courage, it takes determination. It takes some level of confidence to do everything that you're doing, and you and your dad travel around the the country and talking to people. So tell us how that journey evolved and how you feel about that. I really enjoy public speaking. I enjoy sharing my uh, perspectives of the world with other people. Uh, I especially like making people rethink things that they haven't thought about. Um, giving people, I, I like dusting off kind of corners in the room that no one has looked at. So can you give our listeners a, a, a different perspective, a different spin on something, maybe something that you've presented at one of your um, presentations? Sure. So, uh, you know, a lot of times people um, people say the cliche of just be yourself. <laughs> just be yourself <laughs> as if you can just kick back and relax and everything should fall into place. And I say that that's a dumb expression, in my opinion, because, uh, you know, how, how do you know I can just be myself? What if I can't? You know, when I was 15, I was at my first job, and I got fired for, well, this is not the incident that got me fired, but one of the first incidents, which led to me eventually getting fired, was uh, a black guy walked into the pizza place I was working at, and he looked a lot like Barack Obama. And so I yelled out, hey, we've got Barack Obama in the house. Get that man a pizza, Hawaiian style. <laughs> and and the black guy was very flattered. He loved it. But my white coworkers were very offended. 
And Why so were they offended? I, well, because they were very politically correct, and they were very offended on his behalf, even though he was flattered. Well, they also misinterpreted how it was coming. Your comment was coming. They might have thought it was that you were making fun of the guy, but you weren't. You were totally right. wow, Barack Obama. Yes, yeah, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> So, oh, sorry. I my think, point with that was, my point with that was that I was just being myself a hundred percent when I did that, and it might not have been the most appropriate thing to do in the workplace. But you know, if you told me to just be myself, that was me being it. So right. you might have to evolve yourself. You might have to modify yourself. You can kind of hurt people's feelings if you tell them to just be yourself it kind of draws attention to the fact that actually the opposite is true. They can't just be themselves. Kind of very insane. So you're right. You have to, to be yourself it. maybe and not completely because there are some places where you can't, you can't just be who you are, right? Because yes, it's yes. Yeah. So. And, you know, it's true. I, I probably have used that expression but I use it differently, but it still has the same impact if you're taking it, like, literally. Well, right, how do I do yeah. that? And, and and then there's another question, who am I? I mean, what if, <laughs> like, I know yeah, some yeah. of what, right? So, right. anyway, it's good. So, what about the first book that, that you've been, that you worked on with your dad? This is a sequel to that book. How, what was your, Chasing the Rabbit, what was your involvement with that one? That one was my dad's perspective on his, uh, his life raising me as a father. Uh, and I wrote some takes in that book. I wrote my versions of the events in the chapters after some of the chapters. How and different said was the only people oh, said ahead, that I'm the sorry. only thing that could have people said the only thing that could have made this book better is more Dylan's takes. And so <laughs> I so what I did here was this is a, a whole book of Dylan's takes basically. And you know what? I have the book and I love the takes and I also love your dad's book too because I, and what's in it that you, that you've written, you know, that you've written because I think it's gives us and many people don't understand what a family with a a person with autism has and what everybody goes through. So what were some of the challenges that you and your family faced um and maybe are still facing? Well, uh I mean I don't think they're facing luckily not a whole lot of challenges oriented around me anymore um you know a couple years ago my family actually came out and visited me when i was living in texas and uh they were arguing with each other the whole time and i was the only one not involved in the fighting and it used to be exactly the opposite every all the arguing and fighting and drama revolved only from only came from me and so it was really nice to see the tables turn like that (laughs) So what, what what quieted or slowed down the drama and the fighting in you? How did that shift, Dylan? Well, uh, honestly, I was able to build a social life, and I was able to do what I wanted, which was, uh, you know, date 
females. And if I had not been able to do those two things, uh, I probably would have ended up in jail, honestly, because I would have lashed out at the world. Um, who knows what would have happened? But luckily I was. I don't know if God played a hand in that or what, but, um, you know, if I, I mean, I'm very lucky that I, you know, I was blessed with uh, the ability to do that. Um, if I wasn't high-functioning enough to do that or if I was, you know, ugly or something that inhibited my ability to make friends and date girls, uh, you know, I, it would have been really bad for me because I would not – I didn't have the maturity when I was 18, 19, 20 uh, to mature and the way that I did without having those two compartments of my life taken care of at least somewhat. I would have lashed out you know, at the I world, that... probably, possibly violently. <laughs> But I think you made made a very important point. It's we feel better about ourselves and the world and the people around us when some of our needs are met, and whether it's it's having a social life or or having a girlfriend or people that care about you, which is very important, or whatever else it is. It makes a difference in terms of how we view ourselves, how we see the world, and also very important in <laughs> our feelings. So that was that was wonderfully said. Unfortunately, what but, you had to go through. Go yeah, ahead. I mean, there's people out there who are not as lucky as me, though. And so what I would like to do is uh, shed a light on those people's struggles. And the first thing we need to do is start being honest about it, start acknowledging it, that we have to do something to help people who are unable to make friends or have a romantic life if they desire. Uh, there needs to be some sort of help for those people. You know, we have all these programs and structures in place to help people get jobs or make a living. Why don't we have things like that for people to get a social life and to date? We don't have anything in place for that. So maybe it's that's something like, you could set up. Yeah, yeah, net, maybe. You know, they have all these these um, sites for dating or whatever that are online, and people can post, uh, people relate to one another. I mean, maybe that's an option. I don't know. I don't. Right, do that but if kind you can't, data. if you're not, if you're not able to get somebody, there's no help for you. I mean, that's only that's useful true. And then to it the makes extent that right. someone can, yeah, that's only useful and if then you it can makes already feel do worse. it. That's right. the equivalent of a car dealership. Well, a car dealership <laughs> is only useful if you can buy a car. <laughs> what if you can't afford a car, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I get it. It's true. Yeah. So... You went through a lot of challenges. You talked a little bit about jail, and you also went through a time when you felt suicidal. Can you share that with our, with our listeners, Dylan? Yes. Uh, I um, well, I wasn't really suicidal. Um, what I what I was was I kind of used the rhetoric of suicide to make people realize how upset I was because you can tell people, Oh, I'm so sad. I'm so upset. I'm so frustrated. But until you say I'm thinking of killing myself, people don't tend to take it as seriously. And as soon as you say that people turn around, like, Oh my God, he's really upset. <laughs> and so I realized that early on, I was never actually going to kill myself, but I realized the power that that rhetoric had in order to stress how, 
stressed I was. And, um, and then the other thing is, uh, I thought about, uh, my, I have kind of a philosophical take on suicide, which is like, we, we always, whenever somebody wants to kill themselves, we always impulsively stop them at all costs. But my question is like, how come it's not up to me? I mean, just philosophically, just, uh, rhetorically, how come I, you know, I didn't come into this world consensually. So how come I don't get a uh, say in whether I stay here? I understand that aspect, but then there's also another, which is oftentimes when people are feeling that way, which you weren't, thank goodness, feeling that way and acting on it, it could be a momentary, and I, you know, I agree we need to have our own rights, but, but in that moment, whether it's that moment of depression or like what's, you know, what's the use or whatever, they may be acting for themselves, and if they had more time to think about it or something else happened, they might change their lives. I've seen stories, Dylan, whereby people had somebody show up at the at the almost last minute and help someone who was about to take his or her life, and because of that interaction or because of what happened afterwards, they really felt grateful that they were alive and doing whatever things so so i don't know there's another side to that too but i agree i mean yeah hey why not have choices but sometimes <laughs> our choices aren't the best choices and oftentimes we need some support i mean yeah yeah <laughs> but doesn't it kind of make it doesn't it kind of make it less special the fact that we stop absolutely everybody from committing suicide because then that kind of takes away the meaning of it, you know, because it's just an automatic. It, so it has nothing to do with you, really. <laughs> well, I think it's about saving lives. And uh, no, I understand where you're coming from, but I think but people if every would like life. To... But if every life is saved by default, then that kind of takes away the specialness of it. It's like, well, it doesn't. It means nothing now. The fact because you do it for absolutely everybody, so it really has nothing to do with me. It's not like oh, your life should be saved. It's just like, well, we're going to save your life by default. Well, why not look at it differently, that your life is special, That and my book, More Heaven, because every child is special, is about why not see all of us, including you, including me, including my neighbor or someone I don't know, as special in his or her own right, and really have a sense of respect and some kind of caring for those individuals. That's kind of where I come from with that, you know. So. Right. So let's go on. But I, but I totally get your point. You know, it's <laughs> I need to be in charge of my life and make those decisions. So, and it's important. It really is important to to be in charge. So share. You you know you speak so easily and and it, it it's really a pleasure to have a conversation with you and you seem comfortable and you use a lot of humor in your presentations and in your book and in showing you know really giving us a a, a different perspective and a different awareness. How did that come about? Was that a struggle to get to that place for yourself? No, it was a struggle to moderate it and to uh, kind of hone it so that it's appropriate 
it was it used to be much more unfiltered and much more outrageous and so it was a struggle to kind of take it down a peg okay so can you share a little bit of the humorous side of of what you do when you're when you're giving a presentation like your spin on something <laughs> like uh, suicide hmm, yeah let me think of one Uh, Well, I talk about uh, an example of my grandparents when they, uh, you know, I say that they they always went out of their way to kind of meet me where I was and kind of cater to me. So when I was 18, I had started smoking cigs. My grandfather was an ex-smoker, and he was very unsatisfied. He was very disappointed that I had started smoking cigs, and so he offered me a deal to get me to stop smoking. And he he told me, I'll pay you an undisclosed amount of money every month for until you graduate college. Uh, Well, he was assuming I was going to go to college, but uh, to uh, stop smoking cigarettes. And but until then, he said, you got till the end of the year to get it out of your system, because I know you're not going to stop right now. And it was April. And so he gave me until January 1st to stop. And he said, until then. You can smoke Marlboros, you can smoke Camels, you can smoke Newports, you can smoke Cools, you can smoke Benson and Hedges, you can smoke Winstons, you can smoke Basics, you can smoke Parliaments. <laughs> but after them, the offer is on the table. And so I said, okay, and I went home, and I assumed that my grandparents had already talked it over with my parents. And from that conclusion, I assumed now it would be okay for me to just start smoking right on the porch, which I was always supposed to go off into the into the lawn or away from the house. And I thought for some reason that because I assumed my grandfather had told my parents, he's okay to start, he's okay to keep smoking till the end of the year. He got the green light. I thought, okay, well, that means I can smoke right by the, right on the porch. And so I lit up proudly in front of my whole family and they said, what the hell are you doing? Get away from the house. And I said, but Papa said I could smoke Winston's. I could smoke Camel Crushes. I could smoke Camel Filters. I could smoke Camel Wides. I could smoke Marlboro 27s. I could smoke Marlboro Blend 54s. I could smoke Marlboro Virginia Blends. I could smoke Marlboro Special Blends. And they, uh, so I, that was a, an example of my, you know, autistic thought process. I just kind of assumed that they were on the same page and that that meant that I could do whatever I wanted. Did you end up quitting? Uh, yeah, well, it's a it's a it's a habit I've struggled with for a long time. I quit and then sometimes I start again and then I I quit and so you know it's something that I've definitely struggled probably will always struggle with. But uh, yeah, I'll tell you a quick story that made me quit. I used to buy a pack of cigarettes and then go out in wherever in the neighborhood and hide them from myself. <laughs> like, hmm. really? You don't know where they are? <laughs> and then <laughs> when I when that didn't work, I actually bought a pack of cigarettes, and I would take one, and I would put the rest in water and douse it so that they you could not even really smoke it, or so I thought, but you can dry them out. And that once I saw that, it, t- it was horrible. It didn't taste good. I thought, you know, Joanne, what are you doing? And that <laughs> led me to stop. <laughs> so, oh, wow. There I'm you go. Try that, but, what's that? <laughs> there you go. 
Yeah, so I'm not I'm not suggesting try it, but but you get to a point, I think, at least I got to a point where this is disgusting what cuz I was watching my behavior and thinking, what are you doing? I mean, how desperate are you that you have to do what I did? So anyway, we we you know, we get to see and we also get to critique some of our own actions and what we're doing. So I hope on yeah. your journey that you figure out a way if if that works for you to you know to quit smoking. How was um your challenge how are the challenges expressed in the family like with your sisters and with your parents going through what it was like to raise a child on the spectrum a child a, a young adult? Uh what was the question? What was the, the I guess the what were the challenges that your family had, your parents, your your siblings had in being a part of figuring out how to be with you and raise a child like yourself? Well, uh you know, I was a very problem problematic child and adolescent and so uh, unfortunately, a lot of the things I went through, there really was no solution. I was just such a complex and troubled individual. And so the challenges that they went through was kind of grasping at straws, figuring out what to do, trying different, all these different things, being different professionals even. And, uh, and, but nothing, there were, there were times in my childhood, especially where nothing really worked and nothing was going to work. So how has it changed for your family and you? Well, uh, I mean, I just matured and I just, I, like I said, I found, uh, I found ways to make friends and kind of have a romantic life. And uh, if I hadn't, like I said, if I hadn't have done that, I don't know what I would have done. I would have spun out of control, lashed out at the world. I, I probably would have stayed much the same kid that I was when I was 11 years old, 12 years old. So you and your family are at peace now with with yeah well, you know, yeah that yeah that's important. So Dylan, we're almost out of time here, but what I want you I, I want you to tell our listeners why what you're doing, why do you feel that, that it's so important and that it's so imp- and, and I totally agree with you and that it's important to continue to to present your information and, and 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 tell people what's really going on from a personal perspective. Why do I feel it's important? Yeah. Well, uh because autism is an increasingly diagnosed syndrome and uh disorder rather. And there's a lot of people out there that are looking for answers and going through the things that I went through and so if they, hopefully I went through it for a reason. Well, you're helping people with those answers through your own story, definitely, which I think is is wonderful. And we're almost out of time, but I want you to tell our listeners, firstly, how they can get your book, Bad Choices Make Good Stories, My Life with Autism, how they can connect with you and find out more information and all that good stuff. My yeah, uh, you go to badchoicesmakegoodstories.com, badchoicesmakegoodstories.com, and that's where you order it. And it's also uh, the first book with emojis. Forgot to mention that it has emojis throughout the whole book. 
It was a very fun read. Cool. Now you also have a YouTube channel, right? Tell people how they can connect there. I do. You got you can type in my uh my stage name, uh D I E L A W N. That's Dylon. D I E L A W N. That was my nickname given to me in high school. Just the alteration of my name Dylan. People started calling me Dylon. And so it just stuck. So that is my stage name. That's how you find me on all social media. And uh yeah. Well, I, wonderful. Uh, on my YouTube I, I give daily thoughts on various things. Much like the stuff that you've heard me talk about on here. If you've been entertained, you'll love my YouTube channel. Well, I'm always <laughs> entertained by you. So would you leave us our listeners with one little entertaining tidbit that you already haven't shared? Uh, yeah, I uh, I think it's really, really um, tedious that they play music in every retail store that you go to. I went the other day, I went to the grocery store, I went to the gym, <laughs> and then I went to the bank, and then I went to TJ Maxx, and there was music playing over the speakers every single place I went. Now, why? Why do we need that in order for us to interact as humans, why do we have to have Nickelback or Pink playing over the speakers or Adele? You know, why why do we need why do we need to hear "I Set Fire to the Rain" for the 500th time as we shop at the grocery store? Like, I understand if it's a restaurant and you're trying to make an atmosphere. I understand if it's a nightclub, but the grocery store. I'm just trying to 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 buy food. I don't need to hear. You know, I don't need to hear Pink or Kelly Clarkson or something playing over the speakers. It's just not necessary. And it's uh, the other thing is, many times as a kid in school and whatnot, various activities, I would always want to put the radio on. But they said no because everybody won't agree on what station. And so let's just not have it on at all because there will be arguing over what station. Everybody doesn't want to listen to the same music. And so it's like, okay, fine. Where is that principle as an adult? What happened to everybody doesn't want to hear the same music? So why do we assume, why do we put on the same music everywhere we go? I thought everybody didn't agree on the music, so therefore we should just not put it on at all. What happened to that? You know, I totally agree with you. And when I go into places, and, and, and I will dispute the restaurant thing with you for a reason. When I go into places, <laughs> I always say, your music is too loud. Can you turn that down? Because I think it's distracting. I don't want to hear that. I want to be in doing what I'm doing. And in a restaurant, oftentimes, in, from my point of view, the music is so loud that people are shouting at tables so that not only are you hearing the music, but I can relay what the person at the next table is telling her boyfriend or the person behind me in the gym is arguing, because that happens too, and I've told them to turn the music down, is arguing with, with his wife or whatever on the phone as loudly as possible. And it's like, excuse me, that's not the experience that I came <laughs> to to live with or pay for or whatever. But the only place that turns it down is sometimes in one restaurant that I go to. They say, okay, we, we already turned the music down. <laughs> but, other, but other than that, I haven't had compliance. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Dylan, I mean, if you're we can't a, take so yes. If we can't, we can't get what? along, if we can't get along without hearing some 
rock song playing over the speakers in a grocery store. If we can't get along without that, we've got bigger issues. (laughs) (laughs) I totally agree. I really do. Well, you are a pleasure, and thanks so much for sharing your story and for all that you're doing, Dylan Volk, and for helping people see an alternative way to be and to understand what it's like to have autism and be the beautiful person that you are. So thanks so much. All right. Thank you. My pleasure. Take care. Bye. So think about all of what Dylan said, because we all have challenges. Everybody's challenge is different. And, but it's, it's wonderful to be able to speak to someone who has overcome a lot of those challenges and is here and ready and willing to help other people go through that to make their lives easier. And that, to me, is a beautiful gift. So if you want to get a hold of me, you can go to docwhite.org. And remember, you are powerful. You have a way to change, to shift, to grow, to be more, and all that you can be or that you choose to be. So thanks so much for being here. And remember... Take care of you. You've been listening to the Power Your Life radio show with host and author, Dr. Joanne White. Listen often and spread the word about the upbeat show to enrich you and grow your life in the direction you desire. Listen again and again and visit docwhite.org for more information and find out how Dr. Joanne can benefit you. Thank you for sharing your day with us and stay tuned for more exciting guests and events to come.